seen you in a while. Uh, and uh, just so, so special to see what the Lord is doing amongst you. Uh, Jesus is building His church. And uh, it really, really is exciting just to feel the, the buzz, the energy of what, uh, of what God is doing here. So, um, so today's a big day. It's Mother's Day. Um, and the world around us celebrates the gift of moms. And I, I don't often kind of play into what's happening around us. But I did, just as I was preparing, feel yesterday that I needed to speak into this. So I prepared through something together yesterday afternoon. And I want to talk a little bit about moms today, mothers, because... Mothers reflect something beautiful about God, um, and, um, and I want us to look, dig into that. We're going to do a little bit of a, a dig into the Bible, but before I get to the good side of moms, I want to kind of talk about what's happening in the fabric of the world around us, because we're living in crazy times. I mean, most of the older guys would nod, but the younger guys would just kind of think, what do you mean crazy times? This is normal, because y- you've grown used to crazy. <laughs> And, uh, and the world is changing very, very quickly around us. And, um, and with that, there is an attack upon the fabric of everything that God said is good, including family, um, including you know, so many aspects of life. The Bible talks about towards the end of the earth, towards when God's about to come back, back to wrap it all up. He speaks about this massive rebellion that will rise up across the earth against God and against the ways of God. And the Bible teaches us that, you know, the world will increasingly, uh, in some ways, rebel, decide it wants to do its own way. And eventually, we know that there is persecution coming our way because we represent something of His image. But the danger for us is that what happens around us in terms of the bad starts to infiltrate us so that we become like the world without even realizing it. And so I want to dig into the, the bad side first about what's happening in our world before we jump into the good side of moms. Um, so how many of you know the number 666? It's kind of a well-known, well-versed, end-times kind of uh, number. And, and the background to it is this. As I've mentioned, the Bible says, and this was written like 2,000 years ago, that the world is going to increasingly get evil. And ultimately, there would be a system that would span the entire globe. Um, and it will ultimately cause all nations, all people from all nations, to align their thinking and their actions with this system. And um, that system is given a number, a numerical value of 666. Many of you would know uh, there was all fear about the vaccines when they came out. Is this the mark of the beast? Because, you know, the Bible says it'll burn your wrist or on your forehead. And technically speaking, that simply means your forehead indicates your thinking, your wrist indicates your actions. So I don't think it's necessarily a literal thing as much as a deeper thing that we've got to dig into. The world will increasingly become evil, and every nation, every tribe, every tongue will start to think a certain way and act a certain way. They'll see a different morality. And the number given to this entire system that'll span the globe is the number 666. So what does that mean? Why, what is it? And, and maybe Revelation 13, 18. Let's put that up for me quickly. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. His number is 666, or three sixes. Um, so there's this system, this beast-like system, and it carries a numerical value. The number of a man, the number is 666. Now, when the Bible gives us figures, numbers, there's always a deeper meaning behind it. What does the number six mean in the Bible? And, and now you start to dig into what does this actually mean? The number six is the man was made on the 
Six day. Six is the number of man. Okay, so it actually tells us there. His, it's the number of a man. It's the number of man. And there's three sixes. What does three things indicate? Well, the Bible always speaks about three being perfect or whole. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Man is spirit, soul, and body. So there is a wholeness. Uh, it's quite interesting when the angels sing uh, the Bible, John goes into, Reve- uh, into heaven in the book of Revelation, and he sees the Lord, and he hears the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three holies, what does that indicate? God is perfectly holy. But now we see three sixes, and six being the number of man, or ultimately the weakness, or the the number of man. So you've got man, man, man. It's really what it means. And it speaks of actually man setting up a, a, a man-made system in defiance of God. It'll be man technically coming into a perfect government within himself, trying to rule the world devoid of God in any way. So he'll drive God out of the earth and form a system that'll fashion what everyone thinks and everyone acts through government, through culture, through law, through Hollywood, through everything, to fashion the way the world would think. And ultimately, the whole world will start to think, man, man, man. In other words, man's ways rather than God's ways. Man's government rather than God's government. Man's kingdom rather than God's kingdom on the earth. You got it? So this is what it says is now happening, and we see it in our time. We see that the world is increasingly forming a, a, a rebellion against God, things that we're, we, we're in a post-Christian era. We no longer, you know, um, culture was rooted in Christianity up until fairly recently, and now culture is turning away from Judeo-Christian values. And so we're starting to see this fulfillment of the 666, this man-made system. And it's rooted actually in the Garden of Eden. Uh, remember right at the first sin, the first sin and the last sin will kind of be the same. The first sin was in Genesis 3, uh, verse 5. Satan came to man in the garden. Man was in the presence of God, under the rule of God. Um, and, and Satan said, God knows that if you eat of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said you mustn't, your, uh, if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan said to man, if you eat of the fruit, this rebellion against God, your eyes will be opened. And that simply says that you'll see for yourself, you won't need God to tell you what's right and wrong. You'll define everything. No longer will there be God who says that's good and that's bad. Now you will see for yourself what's good and bad. So you'll do it without him. You'll do it devoid of him. You'll be like God, so you will no longer be under him. You'll be equal to him. You'll be, in a sense, not under his rule and reign. You will have rule and reign within yourself. And then the third thing is knowing good and evil. Here, you will define your own morality. You will define what's right. You will define what's wrong. And so the first sin was that. The last sin will be the fullness of that. Six, six, six. You'll be like God. God will not tell you how to live your life. You will read your Bible and decide what you want it to say. The Bible even warns about in the church, in the end times, people gather a great numbers of teachers to tell them what their itchy ears want to hear. So you've got this system that's now even into the church that we want 
God on our terms. We want to define how we live our lives. We want to define our own morality. We don't want to live under the rule of God. We don't want to trust God when He says that's bad or that's good. We want to find it for ourselves and we'll decide whether it's good or bad. I, had a, I wasn't going to do this, but I had a, a little thing on Facebook about two days ago. Uh, a surfer in Malpos, a friend of mine, posted a, a, a picture. Uh, he's not saved, obviously. Could you put that picture up for me? I wasn't going to go there, but ach, why not? <laughs> why not? This is a great illustration. And remember, the Bible says the devil manifests as an angel of light. He comes in what looks as good, but he's a deceiver. Phileas, I could see you, bro. You got the legend with you. <laughs> Whole family. So, it's a picture of a pregnant mom. Is it ever right to stone a bride to death because she's not a virgin? And that sounds pretty gnarly. Is it ever right to kill a woman who's pregnant for any reason? God thought it was. In Deuteronomy 22, 20 to 21. talks about if you find a woman... She marries, and then after she's married, it's found that she's pregnant. So she's had sex with somebody else. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. So in the Old Testament, God's establishing a kingdom. He's establishing his rule and reign. And he says in the Old Covenant, in Israel, if a woman is pregnant, marries a guy, and he finds out, whoa, you're pregnant and it's not from me. And he can prove that. Then the woman needs to be taken and stoned to death, even in her pregnancy. And so the heading, obviously, at the bottom, I think it is Bronze, bronze Age Baloney. So the Bible is Bronze Age Baloney. And obviously, what kind of a good God would do this? And it is kind of like even some of you are going, Oh, that is pretty gnarly. Some Christians say, well, that was the Old Testament God. He was this nasty God. The New Testament God is so much nicer than that God. But actually, you don't understand the ways of God. If you think that, it is the same. We know that Jesus died on the cross fulfilling all the sins that have ever happened. So we don't carry juristic or government like Israel did. They, they were a nation. They, did, they were law with themselves. We don't have the right to kill anyone. So we don't stone Girls that are naughty anymore. <laughs> but what is, what, how do you answer that? And the answer is quite simple, and I, I'm going to read my answer. You see, this is man shaking his fist at God and saying, you're immoral. You're unjust. And finding a reason to accuse God of being wrong, and therefore we are right. We know better than him. When is it ever right for God to do that? When can, how could God even say to do that? God must be false or evil, or, and we know better than God. That's really what you're going to, if you follow the logic, that's where you end. Unless you look at it from an entirely different lens. You see, this is the problem. We think we have the knowledge of good and evil. Our eyes are opened. So we try and make up our minds for ourselves, but we don't see truth as it is. So my answer to him on Facebook was this. He asked me, I, I, we got backwards and forwards, and ultimately asked me, so how do you answer that? Simple explanation is that God values human sexuality as a sacred, beautiful thing, to be treasured and treated as holy, kept for one partner in marriage, 
This may seem strange to a generation who believe they can live as they want without extreme consequences. But from my perspective, having lived as I wanted for many years without boundaries and paying later with the destruction of my soul by my actions, I found that God was wise with the boundaries and I found genuine love once I began to live within them. This law, implying that sexual promiscuity, while seeming fun and innocent, is extremely soul-destroying and damages humanity internally so badly that an extreme safeguard or law is given to protect human dignity and value. In other words, to us it doesn't seem that bad to have sex before marriage. I love him, he loves me. But God says if you do this outside of the way I made you to do this, it may seem fun in the moment, but it will corrupt and destroy you internally. It will ravage your soul to the point that it will be worse than death. So I'm putting a very strict boundary. If you cross this boundary, and I'm wanting you to know how dangerous sin is, he's actually protecting human dignity and value. Do you get that? You see, but what happens is the world begins to fashion and, and our thinking, and, our, and, and we fall into the, the, the sin of Adam and Eve, and we ultimately will push God out of the garden and say, we will rule and reign the way we want to do this. And this thing, unfortunately, this anti-God system is coming at the church mainly through the, num the number 666. It's human rights-based values that are now being forced on us that seem right, We've had race issues, we've had the whole race wars, which have been, you know, all over Facebook, and we've had gender and LGBTQ+. <laughs> and, and please understand, you know, people, we don't make war against people who are, are sinners. We, we know that we ourselves are still sinners, but we know that those things lead to death. So we're not sitting there poking our fingers saying, you guys are a bunch of sinners, we're calling people out and saying, don't believe the lie. Don't believe that these things, they're offering you what seems like life, but they'll destroy you because we've learned that God knows better than we do. And you're saying, no, but I don't trust God. I want to experience for myself. I want to know. I want to have a sex change because until I have a sex change, I'm not happy. And we're saying, you do that, you'll lose more of yourself. And that's backed up by the facts. More people commit suicide post than before they've had the sex change. It doesn't fix your soul. Jesus said if you try and find your life in your own strength, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life my way, you'll find it. And so you've got this war happening, and we're right in the middle of it right now. <laughs> One of the areas that's coming in hard and fast is the role of men and women. I mean, I was in the Isle of Man, which is in the UK recent, uh, recently, and um, I saw a, a billboard on the side of the road by the government in, in, in England. Um, government pays for medical. So you don't have medical aid, government, you just go in a queue, and at some point they're efficient enough to actually fix you. And, um, and there was this advert, and this is how I'm going to read it. All people with a womb and women... Please make sure you have your appointed pap smear. All people with a womb and women. In other words, you can be a person with a womb, but and or it's a separate thing. You're a woman. And so people are saying, 
well, I, I, I was born this way, but my gender, who I think I am inside, is this. And it's a desperate attempt at trying to find who I am and where do I fit, but it's trying to do it outside of the way that God lovingly puts you together. And so it seems, the Bible says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death, because God is the creator. He made us. He knows where life and death lies. You're hearing two ladies up front here just sharing beautifully of trying to find life and finding death. And then the Lord Jesus comes and through repentance, realizing I've done this wrong and I'm going to bend my knee to you, Jesus. And healing and the, the fountain of living water starts to heal our soul. So this is the challenge that we live in right now. And there's this bombardment on us that you need to work this out for yourself. Don't trust the Bible. It's a Bronze Age book written by a bunch of shepherd boys. And, and an attack coming from every level against you know, the Christian faith. And one of the areas that's coming in is this role of woman and man. Who does what in the family? Who does what in the church? And churches around us are folding for, from 2,000 years of Christian doctrine in terms of, well, this is what a God does. And that's to, well, actually, we're all the same. There's no longer difference. You know, women can do exactly what a man can do, and a man can do exactly what a woman can do. So, so if she can, why shouldn't she? So why can't a woman be a pastor or an elder? Why can't she be the head of her home if she's cleverer than her husband or better leader than he is? Because surely they say scriptures like, in Christ, there's no longer male, female, slave, free, but they forget that that scripture is talking about in salvation. We're all saved by Jesus. <laughs> But in the New Testament, still, the Bible speaks about the husband being the head of the home. Christ is the head of the church. So you've got this paradox right now, and, and a lot of these things will seem unfair to us. People will leave churches because, you, how can you, you're demeaning women, you're patriarchal. And can I just say, that's like a swear word now, it's actually a Bible word. But we distort the fabric of what patriarchy means. Patriarchy is a good father. Who, the Bible says a husband even must lay down his life for his wife, putting her first in all things because she is the weaker of the two. And when it says weaker, obviously physically, normally that is the case. But actually, by nature, the fact that she is woman, she has to make herself weaker to yield to your leadership. So if she's yielding to your leadership, the nature of God is then always put her above yourself. And that makes it secure and safe for her because she knows, okay, you're actually trying to do things that are for my good, not just for your own. Does this make sense? MC, why don't you just come and share? She, MC's, she, MC had this little thing on disorder. It was a revelation she just once, and I, she just shares it well. Um, so um, I said to Andrew, and I was chatting the other day, and I said to him, this thing about the women issue it's way more evil than, than, than there's it's a strategy and a hidden agenda, it's way more evil that meets the eye, that the Bible says in James 3 verse 16, that where you find selfish ambition, that now selfish ambition is, I want to do it my way, I don't want to do it God's way, you find a disorder, the scripture says, a disorder and every evil practice. And so God's ways are flawless, it is holy, it is so pure, 
And when you move out of God's ways, there's a disorder that happens, and that disorder is no, no more just what's wrong or right. It's impure, and it brings evil. It unleashes evil on the earth. So the strategy of the enemy is to use this thing to gain authority to release more of evil on the earth. It's, it's way more than just the meets the eye. But you find every disorder, disorder is simply something outside of God's order. That's what disorder is. God is a king and he has a kingdom and there is order in the kingdom. And as soon as we go outside of that order, there is actually terrible things following. There's pain, there's death always following. So we need to get this thing right. And we're going to start looking at mothers moving towards the good. So this is a challenge, and even being a mom today is something that, you know, that's under attack. And, and we've heard of broken families, broken dads, broken moms, because the devil is trying to destroy what is in the image of God. So all of us, to some degree, have got baggage. None of us had a perfect parents or perfect upbringing. All of us have got scars somewhere in our soul that the Lord wants to heal. I know my mom is close to perfect. <laughs> <laughs> the naughtiest mom in the whole church. <laughs> Hannah spoke about his, his daughter and growing, all his kids growing up. I'm worried about what my mom's going to say in your home group meeting. <laughs> Teasing. <laughs> but let's look at mothers. So here's the thing, actually. At the end of the day, if, if a woman grows older within the community of faith, even those that don't have biological children, you will all become mothers. We'll look at that just now. It's something that is unique to a woman and that man just will never quite get. Amos used to say that after Anya was born, you know, when I held her for the first time and I used to feel her sometimes through Amos's stomach and, you know, you know, she's moving, she's moving. And it's one thing putting my hand and vaguely feeling. But I remember MC when she first held Anya, used to say, you were inside of my tummy. Like, a, you were part of me. Like, like, I don't even know what that feels like. But there was this thing as a mom that she had with her daughter. Like, you were formed in my body. You were, it's, a, it's a miraculous, beautiful thing that God has given women. And when you look at, um, at, at women, I, I do think we need to first look at God. Because I'm hoping we can look at moms and then learn about God. Because actually that's what moms are supposed to do. They're supposed to show God to us. They're supposed to be a reflection of what God is like to us, one aspect of what God is like. That is your primary purpose as a mom, is to reveal to your children what he's like. It's not just that they love you. It's not just that they excel. It's that you show them what God is like. And so when God made us as human beings, do you know that he first only made Adam? Eve came a little bit later. And I want us to just dig into this, because I think there's mystery in this that I don't think we always get. In Genesis 2, 21 and 23, right at the start of it all, you know, we're now on this, uh, moving towards the sixth day. God makes man, and everything else God says he's made is good. He's made the animals, made the fish, the flowers, the, everything is good. And then he makes man, and then for the first time, he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so God fixes, or in some ways, he's incomplete, doesn't fix it. It's not yet finished. It's not yet done. It's not yet complete. And so God wants to complete this. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. 
Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone uh, of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. For she was taken out of man. <laughs> I'm sure he did when he saw her, like, whoa. But this picture of Adam being put to sleep, and in some ways you've got to have this picture that something was taken from him. He was never the same after that. He, he was incomplete. And, and it's quite interesting when you dig into what that word rib, some translations say, from his side. Because the Hebrew word is kind of an ambiguous word. We're not 100% sure what it means. It's translated many ways in many different spaces. Uh, for example, that word for rib that we read there in NRV, in the, in the New American Standard Concordance of the Bible with Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek dictionaries, this is a standard, you know, this is a standard dictionary, Bible dictionary, a word dictionary. It says, the word tesela, which is what this says is rib, is translated in one place here as rib, and other places a side chamber or a side room. And in fact, the most common translation is a side room. When God was building the temple, there was a central temple and then there was a tesela. A side room. It was part of the building, but it was a unique structure. And, a, and, and, and the, the word in the Hebrew has a kind of a picture of a curve in it. So, God say it's rib because it was kind of like a curved part of him that they took out. But actually, if you look at it, a womb also has a curve in it. And a womb is also, to some degree, a, a room. And so when Adam was made, the parts that a woman carry were inside of him. And God took that and put it inside of her so that he would be incomplete without her. He would need her to again become whole. And the Bible says when a man and a woman come together in sexual union, the two become one flesh. You actually begin to reflect God in sex. That's why sex is sacred. It's kept for marriage. Because now, in that intimate oneness, you begin to reflect the wonder and the glory of Him. So within marriage, sex is a beautiful thing. But outside of marriage, it's a terrible thing. It destroys us, and it destroys the image of God in us. You get it? I feel like I'm preaching to the youth now. <laughs> <laughs> It destroys you, man. Listen, I've followed sin. I lived sinful. It's so much fun until it catches up with you. It took me years to try and fix the mess that I'd made of my life. Don't, don't believe the devil. He's a liar. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll kill you and destroy you. And for a little moment of sexual pleasure, a little intimacy with a boy or a girl, you lose something that is so precious and destroy something in you. That is so beautiful. Keep it. It's precious. So, woman is taken from man, and in some ways, man will never fully be able to reflect, I don't look fully like God now. I carry an aspect of what he's like. My wife, MC, she reflects another part of what God's like. And, you'll, and you know what he's like when the two of us together reflect him. Does this make sense? So in Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created 
him, male and female, he created them. In the image of God, them. So both together begin to reflect God. See, how does a woman reflect God? And this is all women, not just moms. Generally, women are made and wired a certain way, not just physically, but even internally, the way they feel, the way they think. Normally, they're shaped differently as men are. You could say it's hormones, you could say it's all these different things, but actually, it's God using creation to form you into something that would reflect Him. So women carry tendencies that reflect God, and many of them are things like, here's some, here's some Bible traits. I know these are swear words, but they're actually beautiful in the image of God. Quiet submission. Do you know that that's the nature of our God? Christ, who being in very nature, equal, made himself nothing, you know, became obedient even to death on the cross. This is, this is a reflection of God that you bring. Every time you submit to him, your husband, you reflect God. How's about uh, beauty? I think the only thing in all creation where women are more beautiful than men is in the human species. Birds and stuff, the men are the pretty ones. <laughs> Lions, I mean, a female male, which is more beautiful? But when it comes to humanity, it's whoa, man. <laughs> Gentleness, nurture, care. And, and here's a big one, it's, it's mothering. Mothering reveals something of what God is like in a way that man can't ever reveal. And so God reveals himself through you as moms. He shows your little ones, and actually his little ones, what he's really like. And your calling is a holy calling. It's something that they should look at you and go, oh, is that what God's like? And you'll carry aspects of God. Your husband will carry other aspects of God. Some ways when they look at you, they see Jesus. When they look at him, they see the Father. And as you reflect that in your marriage, they grow up with an understanding of holy, holy, holy. So, women reflecting God, and there's some beautiful things that moms do that reflect God, and I've got a few minutes to land this. So, Isaiah 66 verse 13, listen to this. God's writing here to Israel, and he says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. One of the big things a mom does is they bring comfort. It's funny, you know, when you're falling on your bicycle and you're running down the road, who do you run, who do you call for? Mom! It's like dad's not there. <laughs> if dad is there, you run past him to find mom because mom just is warm and embracing and she pulls you close. In fact, the word for comfort here in the Hebrew is bringing relief from distress or sorrow or to hold until the circumstance changes. Your dad's, come on, my boy, brush yourself up. Mom's like, come here, come here, go, oh, I'm just going to hold you. <laughs> and that's something that God put in mom, because God is both a mother and a father in the sense. He reflects both within himself. And so he says here, like, like a mother comforts you, so I want to comfort you. 
I want to hold you until the circumstance changes. You know, hearing these two ladies just share and realizing just our brokenness sometimes. And sometimes the scrapes on our knees weren't near as bad growing up as the, the scrapes in our soul. And God sees. He wants to come. He wants to hold you and comfort you until such time as the pain goes away. And that's a lesson that we need to learn, that we can run to Him. And He is gracious and kind and compassionate. And He comforts those who mourn. And so if you're going through stuff, run to Him. Because He says what your mother did for you. That actually, she's reflecting what I want to do for you. Another thing that moms do is they they care and train us. Listen to this in, um, uh, where is this? Oh, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7 to 8. Paul's writing here, working as, a, as an apostle in the church. And he says, uh, like a mother, that, that middle part there, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. So Paul compares something of what he feels, but the standard, the gold standard for caring for you and actually is like a nursing mother, like a mom who, who just, wait, you know, you moan in the middle of the night, she just finds the energy to get up and to be there. Dad's acting like he's sleeping and thanking God that he can't provide milk. <laughs> But some of mom finds that in her. It's just within her. It's like God has wired that into her DNA because he, she reflects something of what God is like. And, uh, and, he, and care and love and attention is something that moms bring that dads can't do. I heard an amazing story. It's a true story. In, in August the 3rd, one Saturday morning in 2019, uh, there's a shopping center in America called Walmart. It's like our checkers, but better. And... Um, and um, I've been there. It's awesome to get left there for a day or so. But, um, but um, this guy walked in with an automatic weapon and opened up on a bunch of people and killed 20 people on Saturday morning. One of the families that died was a, a, a husband and a wife and their two-month-old son. They dropped their daughter off for charity practice, drove to Walmart to buy stuff for school. <laughs> While shopping, this guy opened up and um, what they found, and this is what the report said, um, they found, based on the mother and the baby's injuries, that the little baby Jordan died, or that mom died, shielding her baby. He pretty much lived because she gave her life. You know, it's bullets are flying. And she takes the bullets and she dies. This is a picture of a mom. This is a picture of a mom thinking not of herself, but of her child. And this is something that God has given you. And again, we actually learn about God in this. That God's love is even greater than a mother's. Listen to this in Isaiah 49, 15 to 60. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls will ever 
before me. This is an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, actually. See, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. What he's saying is this. Even a mother who would give her life like that, even that kind of love, the love I have, the care I have, is beyond that. And when she's run out of love for you, when she's no longer able to be that for you, I will still be that for you. She might forget you. I'll never forget you. I've written you into the scars of my hands. I've died on a cross for you. Forever carrying the scars. Because you're all I think about. This is how God feels about you and me. So again, mom reflects this definition of God. This, but actually God says, I'm even beyond that. Here's another one and then I'll land. She rears and raises us. In Ezekiel 19 verse 2. What a lioness was, what a lioness was your mother among the lions. He's using figure of speech. She lay down among the young lions and reared her cubs. He's talking here about Israel and he speaks about how, she, like, a, like a lioness, she reared her cubs. Here's what moms do. They rear their cubs. And the word rear literally means to train up, to, um, to construct is another way the Hebrew word can be spoken of. To construct you. In other words, as we were growing up, moms would sit there and watch us doing things and shape and train our souls. They'd construct us about right and wrong. They would rear us and shape us. So moms are given this thing of being able to, sometimes they feel like they're moaning at you, but they're trying to, they're trying to construct you. They're trying to rear you, to shape you up so that you can be the best that you can be. And then God comes and he says in Isaiah 54 verse 13, all your children will be taught by the Lord. Thank you, bro. <laughs> I always cry when I preach. And great will be the peace of your children. All your children will be taught by the Lord. Here's an amazing thing. God actually wants to totally, and, and does, train and shape and construct you. And even now, you know, sometimes we come to him late in life. And we're broken. Do you know what he does? He begins a process of healing and restoring. We go on courses like this weekend. And we begin to realize what parts of us are broken. And it's by the spirit that he does that. As he reveals to us. And he reconstructs us. And he fixes the mess that we've made. Because God rears and nurtures us. Because he loves us. So sacred are moms within the community of God's kingdom. That he actually says this in um, Ephesians 6, verse 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents. I read it here. For it is right, honor, in verse 2, your, mother, your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a long life. God tells us to honor our father and our mother. Because this is a, is a guarantee. It, it's, it's a way of us finding long life, good, fulfilled lives. The joy in the community is I know none of our parents are perfect. I'm not a perfect parent. MC tells me all the time when I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> it's really hard being a parent, isn't it? I mean, you're doing your best most of the time, but it's every now and again you're like, oh my goodness. I messed up there. Oh my goodness, I'm being too hard. Oh my goodness, I'm not being hard enough. It's like this. 
But here in the faith community, we honor our parents. We love them. We love our moms and love our dads and submit to them. But the amazing thing is some here might not be moms biologically. And I know inside of, I think every lady, there's a deep yearning to have children. I've even chatted with single ladies who are now feeling they're getting on and you know, they're not getting married for some reason. And they're going like, I, I feel like I want to adopt. Is that okay? Because I feel like I, I want to nurture something. It's like this innate desire that I have. It's a desire that, that God put there. And sometimes you can adopt. But, actually, you stick around long enough in the community of faith, every one of you ladies will become a mom. Because in 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 to 2, it says this, Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What happens in the community is as you keep pouring your life out, is that you become a mother to a broken generation coming in. And they're coming out of divorced homes and broken backgrounds and they don't know what it is. And you welcome them into your family, into your life. This is why church is not Sunday. Church is everything. It's, we are the family of God. We are the community of faith. And we have mothers among us. And our children grow up with many moms and many dads in that sense because actually they're exposed to others. And so if you're a mom, or a lady, part of your calling is to be a mom to those around you, to love and to comfort and to nurture and to rear. And for the young among us, we to look at you as mothers and to honor you with absolute purity because you reflect to us an aspect of him. So I feel like in closing, we've looked a little bit at motherhood but actually, it is a beautiful thing that God's given you. You are a woman, and God made you a certain way. And I know some of us might be struggling with that, and how do I fit, and where's my worth? God says, I made you, and it was good when I made you. And God says, I called you to reflect a part of me, to show myself to you like this, and then for you to reflect that to others. So in closing this morning, I know we're going to get the kids in. Boron spoke about, uh, where are you, Bori? Is he getting them now? Bori spoke about doing something with the kids for moms. But moms, I want to say this. You are a gift to us, each one of you. And uh, you do shape and train us. I think my mom often, I've heard her say sometimes, what did I do right? <laughs> there was a time when she said, what did I do wrong? But... <laughs> But there is a sense, and I, the other day my daughter was at a, um, uh, at a thing at school and she won this gold medal, whatever, prize for, for singing. <laughs> Wish it was a medal, yeah. And my mom came up to me afterwards and said this, doesn't it feel good to see your little one excelling? As a mom, as a dad, doesn't it feel good to see your little one excelling? Here's the thing, in the Lord, when you excel in holiness, God says, doesn't it feel good to see you excelling in your faith? Because he, in some ways, reveals what he's like through moms. And so we do want to honor you as moms today. And even the ladies that have never had biological children, don't miss the calling that God's got for you. God made you woman. And as a woman, you've called to reflect something to others. Some of my, some of my most powerful years growing up as a young Christian 
were older women in the faith that took some of us young men and women under their wings, brought us into their homes, made food for us, which we loved hanging out of their homes, and taught us. I was baptized by the Holy, in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues for the first time through a spiritual mom. It was explained to me what it, how it was by a spiritual mom. I was formed by spiritual moms. Don't miss what God's got for you. Be a mom to many, amen? So, Bori, how are we doing this? Are they here? Are they still coming? Why don't we, um, let me pray with you. Bori, what are you, you guys giving gifts or what are you, can I pray for the moms or do you want to, I want to pray for the moms. All right, so let's get the kids in and, okay, why don't we close eyes and bow our heads. All right, why don't just close eyes. You know, I know that today is a special day for many. But actually, we've looked a lot at moms, but actually, God wants us to see Him. Maybe you're here today and you've actually never understood these things. You've never understood how God feels about you. You've never understood that God wants to include you into His family. Maybe I spoke about the 666 at the start, this way of thinking, this way of living Maybe you have lived your way, but today as you've come to this meeting, you realize, actually, I'm made to live God's way. I'm made to live in relationship with Him. The Bible says that every single one of us, at some point in our lives, live lives our way. And the consequence of that is always death. It's always brokenness. It's always sickness and, and death. But the good news is this. God so loved the world, God so loved you, that He came and He died on a cross in your place, paying the terrible consequence of our actions, so that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes, would receive the right to be called children of God. If you're here today, and I know the kids are here, but just pay attention. If you're here today and you've never done that, or maybe you realize you've been caught up in the world and you want to come out and come to God, or maybe, as I've been speaking, I'm going to do this in one shot. Maybe you realize that you've given away things that are beautiful and sacred. You've allowed the devil to twist your thinking about these matters. Or you've given things of yourself away that you never should have. And you're saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Maybe you haven't kept your sexual purity. Maybe you haven't been what God has wanted you to be. Today, God says, I want to comfort you. I want to heal you and I want to restore you. I want to hold you till the pain is gone and I want to fix you and reconstruct you and give you life and life to the full. If there's someone here today and you realize you need to respond to one of those calls, I want to ask you just to lift your hand and I want to pray with you. That's you right now. Just lift your hands. Salvation, Lord, I need to just come into you in this area. There's an area that I've been taken captive. Is there anyone today? Don't be embarrassed. God wants to hold you, comfort you. Father, I do sense, I do sense some wrestling. Let me just pray with you. Father, thank you that you reflect. You are actually the perfect mom. You're a father, but in your nature are aspects of what it is to be woman. And we honor you, God. And we love you. And we say we feel safe 
and secure in you. Father, would you be glorified in us as we align ourselves with you? And we want to thank you for the moms here today, for the women that are called to reflect your image, called to reflect what you like to their own families and to us as the family of God. Father, would you bless them today? Would you cause them to know the wonder of what it is you've made them to be? Would you cause them to be good moms? Those that know you and therefore can reflect you to others. Through them, Lord, I pray you would nurture a community of people who grow up to know what you like because they are what you've made them to be. And I pray they would come like mothers among us to care and to love and to nurture, to reach out of their own comfort zones and to be to the faith community what you have called them to be. Bless our moms, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.